The sun angles through the bush of 1,000-year-old native Todakarp. Rimu, Totara, Miro, Matai, and Kahikatea. The understory is thick with tree ferns, and many of these coniferous trees are wrapped in a layer of moss, giving this forest a primeval feeling. The mud is thick, but I'm an expert now, and on a sunny day, the fact that my feet are wet makes no difference at all. These are old trees, at one time part of the supercontinent of Gondwana, before New Zealand broke away into remote island masses. This forest I'm walking in is called Poriora, a massive park that was nearly clear-cut before tree-sitters protested in the 70s, saving it for the enjoyment of future outdoor enthusiasts, including me. The main trail is popular with mountain bikers and is so wide and well-maintained, I become the most blissful hiker yet in 40 days of my thru-hike. And yet... Here I am, back on a wet, muddy slog, taking a slight detour just so I can check out the famous Bog Inn. And what a dump it is. It smells like pee, and flies are buzzing everywhere. The table is a trail of mouse droppings. A telltale bit of tarp signals the hut is likely not rainproof. Why would anyone stay here? Maybe a better question would be, Why would any hiker go off trail, and such a lovely trail, just to come and take a peek at this place? Well, maybe that thru-hiker is getting used to hard tramping and was beginning to miss the mud. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Just like that small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. Also, Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. Good socks and strong poles are a must on the advanced tramping tracks of New Zealand, ones where the shortest distance between two points is often simply straight up or straight down, on mud and over fallen trees, through deep bush and on barely there track. But for 20 miles, the Te Araroa is all road. Yup, that's actually one of the biggest complaints about this long-distance thru-hike. The track standard is all over the place, nearly impassable to nearly non-existent shoulder, with drivers whizzing past, seemingly without a clue as to why someone would be hiking in the road. At least this morning, there is very little traffic and it's said a cold snap is supposed to quell the rain, even if king country is the wettest part of New Zealand. Black clouds chase me, and a half-rainbow rises out of the bush, arching towards the Mangakiwa Reserve, a deep canyon of birdsong and solitude from two days ago. It's cold in the shade, but the rain continues on and off, and my raincoat, too, is on, then off, on and off again, like a bad relationship. Clouds and me, we're codependent. 
And then, just like that, it clears. The air is cool and delicious up high, looking out over this humpy landscape. A few days ago in Tequity, a guy offered me a ride past all of this, and I declined it. Even Marianne from last night told me that she saw me walking on the road, and she's usually the one to pick up hikers. This time, though, she admitted she thought, Walk on, little hiker, and was surprised when her husband, Alan, had me in his car heading up the hill to their house. But I didn't let her drive me past this road walk. I mean, there's something satisfying in walking every single step. Admittedly, I sometimes feel like hell, especially when my feet are wet all day and the air is cold. But then again, there's this sense of accomplishment, and invariably, things will change. I mean, it can't rain forever, can it? Black and white cows look at me over the fence. A herd of sheep graze amongst a swing set in someone's backyard. Beyond are cone-shaped hills with rocky outcroppings. This entire landscape is ancient ash, as well as karst or sandstone, creating stalactite-filled caves and these wondrous cliffs. A guy drives by in a 4x4 plus four dogs, and we both wave. I reach the highway, and I decide to have lunch sitting against a sign. Things are definitely busier, but the verge is wider here, and the sky clears, so at least I have that. I pass the abattoir. Oh, all those animal friends I made as I walked past their fields. Well, they have a pretty nice time in the meadows, until that very last day of their life. I come to a section of road under maintenance, and everyone says hi and urges me along. One follows me and pulls his truck to the side of the road. He doesn't offer a ride, but he asks if I might like a piece of chocolate cake and a banana. (laughs) Why, yes! That'll get you to the end, he says, before hopping back in his truck and driving off. It's almost festive as I scarf down the sugary richness and plod along, only about three miles or so to go before my turnoff for the Podiota Forest. Just then, a car stops on the opposite side of the road, and Chloe jumps out. She skipped all of this walk, even the reserve, and urges me to get in. Well, I've come this far, so... I decide to meet her ahead. And as if Maui, the trickster of Maori lore, was intervening in my refusal to accept a kindness, the heavens immediately open up, and it begins pouring again. Was that really necessary? Damp and grouchy, I reach Paherakeke, Chloe looking annoyed it took me so long to get there. And just as I get my body up on the covered porch... It begins raining even harder. The woman at the front desk invites us in to dry out and offers us hot tea and a place to wait out the rain. A sign tells us that the timber trail is 84 kilometers long, but it's only a few more kilometers to Naharunga campsite, right at its edge. The rain stops long enough to allow us to set up our tents just as a car arrives, delivering the Polish couple, Maciek and Renata, along with Vera, the single Dutch tramper. (laughs) They bring a lot of sunshine with them and a bit of attitude. We crowd around a picnic table, each with our individual cook stoves and camp food. Maycek is limping. 
He says he probably pushed too hard, and they decide they'll need to take some time off, maybe even skipping the forest ahead. Vera tells us that the trail notes frightened her from risking the reserve all alone, and she skipped it too. Chloe says she lost heart and skipped the reserve after a mouse chewed a hole in her tent and stole all her food, forcing her to return to town. I commiserate with all of them, especially Chloe, telling her it's a badge of honor to have repaired gear, a reminder of what she's accomplished. But then when I complain that the Teororoa Association is being irresponsible and not maintaining the track, at least to a minimal standard, Chloe cuts me off, chastising me, and saying, I should assume the risk, and I have a choice whether to walk it or not. Okay, she has a point, though a little bit of maintenance would make things more enjoyable and less dangerous, and I think people probably wouldn't skip it. I can't help feeling it's not just about my complaint that the trail isn't maintained. She's criticizing because I walked all of it, calling me a purist, a kind of label not meant as a compliment. The rain starts up again in earnest, and we all dive back into our tents. It's only 7.30, and it's been a long day, and maybe this subject of what to hike and what to skip and what it all means can wait until another day. Besides... Tomorrow, I'll be walking into one of the most beautiful forests in all of New Zealand. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I share these stories about walking long-distance trails as a solo middle-aged female hiker in hopes of empowering you to grab your life and hike your own hike, too. If you're enjoying the storytelling... Consider subscribing to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, take the time to leave a review. It really helps others like you find the podcast. It's cold this morning, and my fingers hurt as I roll up a damp alley coop and stuff it away. I still feel kind of irritated by the conversation last night, wishing my fellow thru-hikers could celebrate my having walked 35 miles, even if they decided to skip it. Late last night, people showed up in trucks with their lights blasting on my tent. I yelled at them to turn them off. And Chloe chastises me yet again this morning for waking her up. This is going to be a long walk if we end up camping together again. It's clear today, and the sunshine lifts my spirits. Rare kakas fly through the campsite, making a ratcheting sound. The coming days are on a shared bike track and will likely be really well-maintained and enjoyable. I'm happy I made it here, surviving the reserve and river walk with no injuries. A deep red Maori statue welcomes me to the path, his eyes made of iridescent pawa, his tamoka or face tattoos a swirl of black. Without having to look at my feet every second, I can take in this gorgeous forest one preserved because of tree-huggers, or more accurately, tree-sitters, who protested unsustainable logging in the late 1970s. I'm out so early, the sun is angling in sideways, in frosty beams. No bicycles were available to rent, but I'm loving the freedom of walking, even if it's going to take me three days to get through this forest. Signage tells me more about this place that the forest began its life 26,000 years ago when one of the world's biggest volcanoes blew up. 
It tells me that cruising rangers were the first to venture into the bush to determine the amount of timber within a designated space. They'd live in the virgin forest for 10 days, then take four days off. One picture shows a man in boots, wool socks up to his knees, shorts, and a swanee, a heavy-duty weatherproof woolen shirt. And it says he's lucky to have found a dry place to camp for the night. (laughs) Don't I know all about that? This region gets two meters of rain per year, and it kind of felt like those meters happened just this past week. The Toy Toy track leads to the summit of Mount Poriora, a sign warning this is tramping standard, suitable shoes required. Two bicyclists park their bikes and catch up to me, moaning about the mud. Gentlemen, this is strictly for amateurs. The trig is a large pyramidal black-and-white geographic reference beacon that marks the high point of 1,200 meters. The view is open to waves of bush-covered hills, the snow-capped giant of flat-topped Ruapehu, an active volcano in Tongariro National Park, rests just below the light clouds. I'll walk all of that bush, getting there in about a week. Chloe and Vera catch up to me, and we snap pictures of each other grinning as we hang off the edge of the trig. The bikers head back down the same way, but we take a shortcut, Doc posting a sign to tell us, this track no longer maintained. Well, that's an honest statement. It's straight down, washed out stairs, and huge drops best maneuvered from a sitting position. Back on the trail, I move fast, Bikes easily passing me on the wide path. The path is built on historic bush tramways, old bulldozer and haul roads from the forestry era, and is extremely well graded. Flood escapes and pipes send the rainwater to a long gully alongside the trail, keeping it from washing away completely in the rain. Should the Teararoa be maintained to this level? Perhaps it's a little bit much. And that explains my desire to take a detour off the main trail to the Bog Inn. The map tells me I won't add much on a side trip. But the reason I go is not just to see it. I guess in all my complaining about track standard, I started missing the challenge. Muddy but happy to have had that bit of adventure all by myself, I returned to the trail and crossed the first of eight spectacular suspension bridges, two crossing the Bog Inn Creek. Oh my God, this is so cool. Creek makes it sound like something small, and yet it's a massive gorge I cross. Way down there. The incredible architecture of Oruaka Bridge shares its artistry with the bridges of Poriora's forestry past, except in the olden days, there were no handrails. Way down there. It's six boards wide, with a tightly woven fence up to my chest. The bridges look like the Golden Gate in miniature, suspended by wires attached to concrete blocks. There's a little bit of vibration, but I'm not afraid to lean over and look down into the water below. At a small grassy spot near Harrison's Creek, Doc has built a small shelter and a long drop. Chloe's already there, and I join her, setting the alley coop, then lying down on dry grass in the last of the sun's rays, Alan's big Coke bottle, a pillow for my head. I liked working today because it was easy. It's like, oh, the birds are singing and the sun is shining. And you enjoy it. It's not like the, the Pyongyang forest where you just like, ah. Oh. 
No, yeah. No. Chloe's out of fuel, so I share some of mine, and she gives me a few bites of chocolate in trade, our earlier tension a distant memory. It's been such a lovely day, but I'm nervous of what's to come, a multi-day canoe trip and an alpine crossing. But Chloe is not one to help calm me, and I need to just manage the unknown factors of weather and timing. Just then, a young man on an all-terrain vehicle drives up. Vera is riding side saddle, and a recently gutted deer is tied down to the dash. Laughing and proud of their kill, they come to the creek for water and set up a spot to cook. Chloe is horrified. She's a vegan, and she can't believe people would delight in destroying an animal. I try to explain to her that Europeans introduce deer, and they're a menace. Hunting them is an act of mercy for the bush. Nothing appeases her, so I suggest to Vera and the Kiwi named Tim that we move the operation out of sight, and Tim gets to work frying up the tenderest bits. He tells me he never saw a single deer until Vera came along at the end of the day, and she was his lucky charm. Marine biologist Sylvia Earle said, I find the lure of the unknown irresistible. It was an easy day today, compared to most of the walk so far. Nothing hard except for the two side trips that I chose to walk. No rain, very little mud, and only 16 miles walking over an entire day, with plenty of time to linger and explore. I don't know what's coming up next. And I can't explain Chloe's combative nature, though I'm certain I won't be planning my days around hers. And perhaps, in some sense, that's the lure of the unknown, the faith one develops in letting go of what we know, especially if it's something that's not really working out for us, and then believing the unknown will offer us something else. The air is chilly as the sun goes down, and my belly is full. Vera takes off with Tim, and I can hear Chloe rustling about in her tent before she settles down. The stars come out as the dew falls, as it's done for thousands of years. Thanks to Lecky Trekking Poles and Belega Socks for supporting the P-Rag. And thank you so much to you for listening. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and take a moment to leave a review. I'm really trying to get the PRAG podcast noticed by others, and your reviews help me get there. Show notes and pictures from the Teodoroa are at my website, theprag.com. You can also contact me from the site and read reviews of the gear that I use, including Kula Cloth, a technical PRAG, and Backcountry Foodie, a partner in backpacker meal planning. Check it all out at theprag.com. Next week, I complete the timber trail, walking through magical goblin forests over the longest suspension bridge and on a remarkable spiral, an engineering miracle. Until then, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails.